we were aware and we saw significant growth in three major industries that were dedicated to the entertainment industry, actually live concert industry, Claire Global, which was audio, Tate Towers, which was structural, anything stage or special effects. They are the number one in the world producer of special effects and stage stages or backdrops or special effects. And then we had Atomic, which was also a special effects video. We saw, and this started in 2008 while we were in the middle of the recession. We're just looking at our local service tax returns and we saw dramatic growth in all three of those industries. So we just picked up the phone and said, hey, can we meet with all three of you guys? Cause we want to know what's going on, why other industries are shrinking. Why are you guys just expanding and growing like this? Why we're in the middle of one of the worst recessions the country's faced. And they're like, Hey, when people are miserable, they want to be distracted. So it did take us four to five years to go through analysis about rezoning. We rezoned 95 additional acres adjacent to where their sites were, which allowed them to expand, but fast forward to. 2022, they are the largest in the world live entertainment facility and basically have sub satellites all over the United States and Europe and Asia, even Saudi Arabia now. And it just mushroomed way beyond anybody's expectations. But the lesson to be learned here is just, it all started because of a conversation. Yeah. It just all started about, Hey, why is this going on? The other aspect of this, Nancy, is that it's extremely attractive to younger people. This, this is very high tech, very yuppie industry. And we ended up maintaining a lot of our youth who normally move away because they had this tremendous opportunity to work in these type of industries. guest today, Dan Zimmerman, is a recently retired municipal manager from Warwick Township in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. He is known for his quiet but effective ways of partnering and working collaboratively with neighboring municipalities. The results have been astounding. In this episode, you will hear about how he shepherded creation of a regional police department, an ambitious rails to trails project, and my personal favorite, conversion of a massive land space for the world-renowned Rock Lidditz, which not only creates high-paying jobs for young professionals in the music entertainment industry, but has spurred a myriad of supporting businesses. We highlight how a rural but rapidly developing municipality can engage the community to think about the future they want. In this episode, you will hear how a small staff, hint, it began with four, can be a powerhouse for innovation by committing to the long game and drawing on the resources of talent right at home. I start off talking with Dan about meeting him in the 1990s when we were both young professionals. The first time he called me up, he wanted to take a policy manual I had written for another municipality and adapt it for Warwick. It was a direct way of requesting exactly what he needed to be done. No frills, please. I decided I needed to meet this person, and I have been richly rewarded over the years by the opportunities to tap into his brain and witness the force of energy he brings to his work. So let's pick up the conversation from there. And uh, I, I remember thinking about this and thinking, no, I, I think this guy's probably a, somebody I need to meet and get to know. 
And I was so glad I did because your brain works in a different way. At first time we met, they said, let's talk about your sick leave policy. And you said, oh, we don't have sick leave policy. If you're sick, you call in, you tell us. Other than the police department. There we go. <laughs> yes. That was the, the genesis or the callus for that call. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So our relationship began. And since that time, I bill you as one of the secret gems of Pennsylvania. I think you have so much to say about innovation and in government. You, to me, have done such a great job of not only preserving what's best in local government, but also pushing the edges and new ways of thinking about it. And so I'm going to put you on the spot here and just see if you can, you know, riff a little bit on the subject of innovation and in local government and just maybe how you think of it in general. Well, I think one thing that becomes a handicap is people place restrictions or boundaries on how they can interact with the community or even interact with their staff or even interact with their board, their governing board. The one thing, and we were very fortunate when I came to Warwick, there was a lot of challenges going on at the same time. So people were very open-minded to maybe a little bit more creative way of approaching things. And so I had that luck, if you will, that at that time to go to the staff, to go to the board and do some of the things, say, Hey, traditional things have not worked very well. So let's start thinking outside the box and start approaching the issue. And, and part of it was, we also knew that we surrounded in our particular case, we completely surround another existing borough. And so regional approach had to really be the, the best approach. Doing things individually was always going to be counterproductive or not as efficient or in many cases, actually a negative impact. So just getting that started and, and thinking about, hey, we need to do a comprehensive regional plan. And then we laid into the challenge and that was in the early mid nineties that we did that. But then we also challenged the community to say, hey, challenge the municipality to think outside the box. We're gonna list a, a number of objectives that we want to accomplish and we're not gonna restrict that within the realm of reality, but we're going to allow you to the community to establish what is a community vision. And then we're going to list what are the specific steps are going to be needed to make that vision reality. And then we're going to see how it goes. And everybody's bought into that. Mm -hmm. And just for a reality check, this is the nineties and your large township land wise. I don't know what the population, if you recall, when you first began. Uh, at that time, Warwick's just under 20,000 now, but at that time, mid nineties, it was around 14,000, 13,000. Okay. So it was growing and yes. your staff that at the time you went on was fairly small, remained small when you left. It was very lean staff. Lean staff. Everybody had titles were free. I always told them, you get a new title and new assignment, they're free, but everybody wore multiple hats. That. I think that's a strength somewhat. It allows people to become familiar with a, a, a wide variety. You, you, it can also be a negative, but I think if you assist people in blossoming, if you will, and, and continuing to grow, then they can take on those challenges. And so. There's something else you did though. I think that you may not have intended, but I think organically speaking, it made you a natural partner to others, whether it's volunteers or other municipalities. It wasn't like you came on and said, oh, we have this big staff. But you said, we're going to help. We're here. We're going to take a lead here. But it wasn't as if, you know, your staff were everywhere. You were. No, we, we literally had four people in the office. So it was not a big staff. 
And, and I think that's another, that's an absolute advantage that every municipality has is there's this long list of potential, whether it's private or public. We immediately, fortunately, again, in Lancaster County, we had an incredibly aggressive and extremely helpful county planning commission, but we partnered with the conservation district. We partnered with many public or private sectors. Again, the Lidditz Warwick area was blessed with having a number of major industries. What we did was we just approached them and said, Hey, how would you like to work together on a, on a specific project? Again, I think there's another basic rule, always respect people's time and, and the good people are always busy. That's a great way to find out whether they're good, that they're really busy. Then they're usually, they're the cutting edge kind of people, but respect their time and say, where well, are you willing to give us X amount of hours for this specific project? And then we're going to let you alone and, and be good to that word, because if you're not, then word gets around quickly. But if you, you know, people feel that you respect their time, you're there to utilize their talent. Nine out of 10 times, they're going to respond and say, okay, let's do this. And, and yeah, without a doubt, we would have never lifted that load without all the partners that we approach. Yeah. It strikes me too, just the, the working relationship with Lidditz. I've worked with other boroughs around Lancaster that will say, then there's the Lidditz model. They have, Lidditz has a very clear identity. And so here you are really with them, but you have a different identity. Was that part of the relationship building with them is that you understand what you do well and they understand what they do well. At that time, when I first came in, there was a number of differences between the borough and, and the uh, township. And that was one of my tasks assigned to me when I got hired was, hey, we have to improve our relationship. It makes no sense to be against on the opposite side of so many issues. And, and you're right. The borough's well-established, has a very clear boundary, if you will, and, and a proud tradition. At that time, the downtown area was not as vibrant as it was. They knew that was, it was in a very threatened mode. And if we would have typically grew without coordination at the surrounding municipality, and remember, we're on 360 degrees around them. We completely surround them. What typically would happen is you would strip away, particularly anchors for the downtown area and have it go out in the rural area in the township. And that was productive. So that was one of the first goals that came out of the regional comprehensive plan was how do we don't want to take away Warwick's ability to grow, but at the same time, we want to complement what was already established. Because again, most people identify, you know, whether they live in Warwick or Lidditz borough is that they're from Lidditz. And that was the identity factor. And, and, you know, I take some time too. And there, there are many people who are proud that they're part of Warwick Township and, and just concede to say, hey, we're from Lidditz. That took a little bit of negotiation, but people saw the greater good is that, hey, we don't want the core identification disappear or deteriorate because we didn't coordinate our efforts. And so that became a champion cause, if you will, and has guided the comprehensive plan for the last 20 some years. That's very exciting. And I've worked with boroughs before that will feel some, sometimes like they're doing a lot of a lifting from attracting people to the area where the townships benefit almost a passive. They're on the outskirts and they're using all the facilities in the borough, but they're maybe not bringing something to the table of equal value. And yet with Warwick, you were always building value in terms of what it was doing within that region, which established you as a, I, I don't know if there's anything you could say to suggest what the arc was over the last few decades in terms of your growth in the region for who you are or what it is that, what is it that makes Warwick distinct? Again, there were, we sort of looked at what I call the development portfolio. How was 
the township developing at that time, how is it counterproductive? Not all growth is positive. And then a lot of people have to understand that. We immediately went to the school district, which was again, one of your foundation of your community and said, at that time we were growing to a rate of almost 300 new building permits, new homes a year. We were outstripping the school's capability of handling new students. We obviously didn't really evaluate the infrastructure. What was the capability of the roads, stormwater, water, sewer, and what were we doing as far as how were we impacting the, the borough? So all of that was part of that first update or first creation of the regional comprehensive plan was to take a look at all. And the, our board at that time, and this is in 96, 97, made some tough decisions that we had to rezone a large amount of area that we had no infrastructures of support. It made no sense. And we knew that we had to send a clear signal that we were growing too fast. And trust me, we had some interesting, passionate meetings about that. And people, you know, particularly property owners were a little bit upset, but we laid out the, the dollars and cents and saying, if we don't stop this, this is what's going to happen. Actually, as part of that first comprehensive plan, we worked with the high school students, the 11th and 12th graders, and they produced a video called Warwick, Lidditz Warwick. And at that time it was 96, 97. So it was Lidditz Warwick 2002 or 2010, we used some sort of future mm -hmm. uh, date and we tried to depict what the community would look like at that time. And we were pointing out all the things that could be negative if we didn't change course. And that was actually very powerful. We ended up doing a all day session and we had between four or 500 people show up, partly because their kids were involved with it. And that's always a good way to get people in the door and basically showed people. And it was an opportunity for us to get uh, input from the individuals, the residents, but to show, hey, there's a real need to change. And, and whether that was ag preservation or watershed protection, all the things, the quality of life issues that we knew why this area was so great to live in, but they were really threatened if we didn't change our course. So it was just getting the public involved about that. We actually did a float for the Halloween parade, which trust me, that was a little hard to get that message across, but we came up with that kind of stuff, but just doing creative out of the box approaches to getting people to tip, pay a little bit of attention. Yeah. Focused on, on message, which is, again, I don't think people were thinking about that as intentionally as you were making the case and getting a message out. And I, I just have to ask you, so what happened next? Again, then there was a commitment to actually doing the regional uh, plan together, which was the borough, the township and the school district, and eventually Elizabeth township. There were three municipalities in the school, school district involved with that. And that was not immediate success. I, I, I hear everybody, everybody is very, really good at listing the obstacles and not really, again, you don't necessarily have to have a hundred percent of everything figured out to proceed. You really don't. You get into the 80, 85%. Normally you get at least start moving forward and start doing the first steps. And, and then you find out that all those last 10, a couple of issues that you thought were big obstacles. If it's successful, they disappear anyways. And no one even remembers what they were talking about. And just to get some forward momentum, we quickly listed a couple of low lying, hanging fruit, things that we knew we could get accomplished right away and just got those under our belt. And because again, another obstacle I see people get hung up on is how are we going to split share this? Or how are we going to make sure that everybody gets adequate credit? There has to be a, a somewhat of a mind frame is, hey, we're committed to doing what's best for the region as a whole. If the region is improved, we all benefit from it. Whether we get a full 50%, maybe not the first thing won't be an equal allocation of benefit, 
but the next thing, then we may get more than the other. Again, it all works out in the long term, and you just sort of got to get your head wrapped around that. Yeah, you, know, you don't want to do anything that's overly negative, or like I said, the more difficult task we sort of pushed back to later on. To just like I said, made sure we were doing projects that we knew could go forward very quickly and see the net results. So the public actually saw, hey, this makes sense to work together. And also the governing boards saw that it made sense. Yeah. So we're going to get into some of these projects, but just at this point, what comes to me is there was something very kind of unassuming about your ways. It wasn't as if this is all about Warwick. You kept what I observed to be a, a modest approach. There was a relationship building. You had to have like trust between all the different stakeholders, but you've proceeded that way all the way through. And I think that it is just important to note that as your projects began to unfold, maybe because they did unfold over such a long period of time and you were really steady, some of these projects until you retired, I didn't really even understand exactly the full extent of your involvement in it, Dan. It was, it's, I think, to your credit. I knew from our conversations, some of the really hard work behind the scenes that you were doing. But I'd like to hear more about it. And I, I think our listeners would also be interested to hear about some of these projects. I'll just list them here. The regional police, which you did in 2011, which if you're in Pennsylvania, then you know how hard it is to build a regional police department. There's only been a few really successful ones. So just this project, this is going back almost a decade. I don't know how long that took to get into play, but do you want to say a few words about how that project got off the ground? You'd have um, to have good relationships for that one. That's a good example on a number of things. One, they talked on and off about a regional police department for probably 10 years, but the actual creation of the Northern Lancaster County Regional Police Department took nine months. We came to a point where we had a change of a police chief, the board. And in this case, this is interesting. We went to Littlesboro and it did not work for them. They had their own issues and our board said, hey, that's okay. We don't have to be, agree on everything. We don't need to be, it's okay if we're going to go a different direction right now. That doesn't mean the door shut forever, but we're going to, we're going to go out and we're going to look at some, several other municipalities that we feel are viable. In this case, we looked only at townships. We thought boroughs and mixing boroughs and townships with a regional police department, they each have different individual needs. And so we did a, took a pause and said, let's go out and solicit several townships that we think would be compatible and see if there's interest. We ended up with two others and they said, yeah, let's, let's talk about that. But the one thing that guided that was whatever the conversation is, it has got to be on what is the benefit for all the, the members. There can't be any individualism. And the other thing we said was everybody's dirty laundry has to stay at the door. Everybody has, whether it's pension liabilities or disciplinary actions or whatever, we wanted to start with a clean slate. And so that had to be understood that we were going to go forward. The new entity was not going to take on any of the burdens from the past. And, and that, again, that's a tough sale. Miss guys, we had a lot of conversation about that is what are we going to do? And, but you can park those things outside and each of the three municipalities had issues that we're not going to come into the new organization, but guess what? All three have been able to manage those and they're now all eliminated. And so we had this nice fresh start for the regional police department. Another important factor is we ended up hiring an outstanding chief, but again, we did our homework. We really did a lot of research, but did this in nine months. It was on a very aggressive accelerated schedule because I think the boards, all three agreed that if we're going to do this, then we're committed. We're going to move forward. We're not going to drag this out. 
We're going to get, we're going to go to the public. We're going to be transparent about it, but we're, we're going to keep this on schedule and we're going to make it work. It is one of the best things we have ever done. The efficiency, the professionalism, just the, it's actually brought the municipalities closer together. It just has worked out. It exceeded our expectations. That's beautiful. That's a great story. So it's been in place. Is there a new chief now or the same one that? Dave Stefan is still there, but he's scheduled to retire next year. And already there's, there should be always a, a succession plan. No entity, if you want it to be successful, should wing the transfer of management. That should not be, there should be careful consideration in what you're doing. So there's already a succession plan built in with staff to make sure that the, when Dave retires, the next day the lights go on and the organization continues to function as it should. The other thing we did too, Nancy, I think it's important. We use true measures. A lot of people use very simplistic ways of determining how they're going to allocate costs, population, number of road miles, maybe incident rates. And one thing we did was we actually broke things down into 15 minute increments and then asked each police department, how do you want to have your, what level of protection do you want? It's like a menu. You can have. You want four officers in your organ, in your jurisdiction at all times, you can order that. Or if you want two, you can order whatever you, we're going to break it down into 15 minute increments. And we actually log on 15 minute increments, all patrols. So we know, and that was one thing that was really make it, made it easy that every member of the organization could easily see we got exactly what we paid for. There it is. It's in black and white. And then we continuously monitored what were the true call ratios again, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds here, but many times police calls are inflated. You can end up having what is considered a call. Three or four calls are assigned to one single incident. And so we strip that away and say, no, we want to know what the true call volume is. And then we analyze how busy our patrol officers were on a 12 hour shift. So we made sure that we were adequately staffed, that they had the resources and tools to do the job. But that we were also monitoring for productivity. Uh, I, I think that's another thing that the public sector has to start. Not only efficiency, but also we should be able to measure productivity and we should be able to make sure that we're producing at a certain level that makes sense. Can you tell me anything about the technology you used in that 15 minute increments? That wasn't manual. It, there, we have software for the, the log patrol, the patrol logs. And then that's what that's broken down. And then the, there were sectors that each of the officers were assigned to. And then we have GPS tracking units on the police, on the cruisers themselves. So we know again, to make sure every sector was getting patrolled on an even basis, what type, and then with the 15 increments, we're able to log what type of calls are getting generated, which then allows you to allocate resources. If you're having a heavier call volume or more serious call volume in a certain sector, at certain times of the, of the week, then you can out reallocate your resources. That's the beauty about regional police. It, it becomes incredibly flexible to address different situations that come about within each municipality. And, and like I said, you can have a serious crime in one municipality that may be an overallocation of resources until that issue is resolved. But then you can, through the rest of the year, you can reallocate resources and make sure that the other member municipalities get their fair share. So it's. It sounds complicated, but it really isn't. And it just makes a lot of sense. And it allowed us, like I said, to really monitor how the officers were doing their job. Yep. And 
again, we did that in a very transparent, very positive manner. And the officers actually welcomed it because it's come in there to their benefit and saying, Hey, we need certain tools to make sure we can do our job. The need was well-documented. So there was no very little discussion and those tools were acquired so that the officers could do their job. So it works both ways. I mean, that again, if there's a desire to try to do it efficiently and in, in, in a high per productivity level, you can accomplish that. Yeah. I appreciate that. I think that could be a topic of a whole nother uh, sort of meetup or interview just around some of the particulars. Of, I think there's a lot of questions around improving the efficiencies and quality in police de policing departments. And just that one benchmark of measuring what measurements are you using, I think is a great topic. So maybe we can return to that sometime. I would like to get on to the, the other project, which you mentioned as being one of the really significant ones that you worked on. And I don't know how this overlaps with the regional police, but it's the rails to trails project. What was the time span on that project? And tell us a little bit about how that came. Well, I think that's another lesson that, that many projects, they're not going to get done in a year or two. You, you have to have some pers perseverance in, in doing projects. In the case of the Warwick Dafferty Trailway, which actually involved five municipalities. It took 15 years for us to realize. But what was interesting is it was connecting five separate municipalities together. And we went through similar things. First was ownership of the rail, and that was really convoluted. That took us several years to untangle because it ended up going through federal bankruptcy court. So you actually had a federal mandate on this thing. It was not uh, rail banked, like typical abandoned railroad uh, right-of-ways were. So we had to untangle that. Then we actually had a private owner who bought the right-of-way, the seven miles worth of right-of-way out of bankruptcy. So then we had to deal with a private owner. And then we finally got to the property owners. So there were, you know, in Warwick alone, we had 150 different property owners adjacent to that rail bed. So we had to deal with their issues. So it took a number of years. Again, the first time it was mentioned, it was 1975. We, we actually dedicated it three years ago, I think in 2019, when it was finally completed. There were actually phases completed as early as 2008, 2009, but the full length got completed in 2019. And that's, that means you went through multiple boards, multiple elected officials to say, why are we spending so much effort on this to make sure that you had good documentation, that you periodically updated your governing boards to say, here's what's going on. Yes, it's slow, but here's why we're taking it. If we would have rushed, that project wouldn't have gone forward. There's no doubt about that. You would have gotten a lot of public opposition to it. Today, it is probably one of the most cherished assets. People love that trail. We would have a riot if we tried to close it down, but it just took time. I call it letting the, the soup stew for a while. Just there were times, there's times you move forward fast, and then there's times you just sit back and let it settle for a little while until it's okay to move forward again. So it's just learning the knack of timing. What was your role in that, Dan? Because I'm just curious of why you're in that soup. Are you getting people saying, because you, you mentioned this, why are we doing this, Dan? So you've got to present to them. Is it because you heard people in the comprehensive planning process that you knew that this was actually a desired outcome or what gave you wind in your sails? when things would slow? It was listed as an objective in the, the comprehensive plan update. Again, once we did and accomplished the original comprehensive plan, we update that every five years, which is a huge task. It's a huge commitment, but it allows the municipality and the municipal residents um, 
community residents to have an opportunity to say, okay, what did we get accomplished in the last five years? And what are we going to, what are we saying we're going to do the next five years? And that's a perfect example of the rails of trails, 15 years, three cycles of the updates, but we were able to come, go back and say, Hey, we got phases. I think we ended up with seven phases. Hey, we got phases one, two, and three completed in this last five years. Here's what we project in the next five years that we can get done. Here are the challenges we have. Don't forget in, in a project like that, not only do you have to keep your own existing planning commission, your rec advisory committee, your board of supervisors on track, but then you have to make sure you're coordinating with four other municipalities and saying, Hey, are you keeping this on your radar? Here's an opportunity that we got to move forward. Here's a grant opportunity that we need to pursue. So again, it's just, it, being a manager is a lot like being a shepherd. <laughs> you kind of just keep herding everybody in one direction and keeping their eye on the ball. And that's a big part of the task. And it's just really coordinating and shepherding. That's great. And what about advisors? Was Were you able to find, just within your circle that you were working directly on the project, were you able to find the advisors you needed or did you go out to some of the others that had done this project before to help you with some of the particular challenges? Again, DCNR, Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, and they, there's some great people on staff there and the County Planning Commission. Okay. Uh, Mike Doman from the County Planning Commission, just outstanding individuals. And again, it's, it's, everybody has to realize you don't have to do this. These people are there to, to help you. We just simply picked up the phone and asked and said, can you work with us? And all they want in return is that you're serious. You're not going to waste their time. And like I said, once they see the, the merit of the project, that sells itself. And then they're more than willing to help out. Again, we used a lot of people, Nancy, to, you know, to make that happen. And again, we have a very small staff, so we were just. Like I said, it's a matter of judging when you need to get behind something and really push hard. Mm -hmm. And then there's other times where you can tell someone, hey, can you run with this for a little while? And then let me know when you need a little bit of help. Now, I broke up log jams. And that's another task that I see <laughs> as a manager is you just sometimes you use dynamite. Sometimes you just use a general shove. But there's a lot of times that's your job. Just all of a sudden things start getting jammed up and you're like, okay, why is this not moving forward? And you have to figure out a way to get around that. Yeah. It's a great image there. I'm going to, I'm going to shift a little bit because I think that the, the next project I want to talk about is entirely different. And I have no idea exactly how you're going to explain how you were able to bring this one into fruition. And I don't know, it is Rock Lidditch. And I don't know whether you want to talk about the, the community development uh, corporation first or whether the Rock Lidditch idea first. Actually, the Rock Lidditch was first. I mean. Okay. So. Totally different kind of project. And I listened to you talk about this project for years. I did not fully comprehend it until Lady Gaga started showing up in town. And I was like, what? So tell that story. Again, I, I told you back in you know the 90s when we did the first comprehensive plan update, we, we did review what we called the portfolio for development. At that time, we were entirely dependent on residential development doing very little industrial, very little community service development. And something that came out of the comprehensive plan is that the boards wanted to change. We wanted to diversify our development portfolio, just like an investment portfolio. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. So we wanted for tax base, for community services, for job creation, we wanted to make sure we were attracting industrial growth. At the same time, 
we coupled ag agricultural preservation with that same initiative. We are the largest transferable development right program in the state. And the board threw that challenge out and said, hey, not only do we want to develop industrially, but we want you to sell TDR so we can preserve farms. And that was a great sale for the public because they saw this, oh, you're going to grow. Because we in the 90s, we were a very strong anti-growth mentality because we were just out of control. So we had to demonstrate to the community is, hey, yeah, we're going to grow, but we're going to grow in this particular sector, not residential necessarily. So it's good for the school district, good for creation of jobs, good for tax base. But at the same time, we're going to actually generate monies so that we can preserve farms, which by the way, agricultural is industrial and over 50% of the township is dedicated to that agricultural production. And so we wanted to preserve strategic farms through transferable development rates. So we threw that on as another objective. We monitored what was going on. We lucked out right away. The first five years, we ended up getting a regional hospital project in that they bought over just under 200 TDRs created, you know, a number of jobs. And obviously it was good for community services because we really lacked medical services within the region. But we started out with that, but we monitored what type of different in industrial activities were going on. We were aware and we saw significant growth in three major industries that were dedicated to the entertainment industry, actually live concert industry, Claire Global, which was audio, Tate Towers, which was structural, anything stage or special effects, they are the number one in the world producer of special effects and stage stages or backdrops or special effects. And then we had Atomic, which was also a special effects video. We saw, and this started in 2008 while we were in the middle of the recession. We're just looking at our local service tax returns and we saw dramatic growth in all three of those industries. So we just picked up the phone and said, Hey, can we meet with all three of you guys? Cause we want to know what's going on. Why other industries are shrinking. Why are you guys expanding? And keep in mind as part of the comprehensive plan, economic development is one of the initiatives. And so uh, on a regular quarterly basis, we analyzed again, with only a couple of people in the office. So this is not, I'm not doing in-depth analysis, but it, you could do a sort of real quick survey and say, Hey, and again, we use the local services tax returns. We saw, man, these guys grew by hundred employees in the middle of this recession. So we had a joint meeting with them. And again, all we did was pick up the phone and say, Hey, do you guys care about meeting with us? And they're like, no, we'll meet. So we met, we set up a meeting. We said, Hey, what's the story? Why are you guys just expanding and growing like this while everybody else, we're in the middle of one of the worst recessions the country's face. And they're like, Hey. When people are miserable, they want to be distracted. So we actually, we blossom in recession time. It's a distraction. So the entertainment industry explodes. And in the course of this conversation, all three were located in Warwick Township. They said, Hey, and by the way, we're expanding so much. We may have to leave because we don't have, we don't have enough room to grow. And we're like, Whoa, wait a minute. What, why would you leave if it's, if it's been this successful? So they're like, we need more space. So I said, then talk to us. Let's present this as an element, uh, as part of the comprehensive uh, plan update, which was going to happen actually in that case, the next year. And I said, let's introduce whether there's community support to expand the capability of three industries expanding. It was at that same initiative that these guys actually then formed a cooperation. They worked uh, independently 
And once we met with them, they decided, you know what, we are all in the same industry. Let's just form what they then formed was Rock Lidditz, which was a new corporation that incorporated all three entities and they started that initiative. So it did take us four to five years to go through analysis about rezoning. We rezoned 95 additional acres adjacent to where their sites were, which allowed them to expand. But they now, fast forward to 2022, they are the largest in the world live entertainment facility and basically have sub-satellites all over this, all over the United States and Europe and Asia, even Saudi Arabia now. And it just mushroomed way beyond anybody's expectations. But the lesson to be learned here is just, it all started because of a conversation. Yeah. It just all started about, hey, why is this going on? And you we were just curious. And we like to promote economic development. And these are high paying jobs. The other aspect of this, Nancy, is that it's extremely attractive to younger people. This is very high tech, very yuppie industry. And we ended up maintaining a lot of our youth who normally move away because they had this tremendous opportunity to work in these type of industries. This is what's so fascinating to me. And when I was at your retirement celebration was at Rock Lidditz. So he appeared on stage and I thought in a room full of really pretty conservative Lancaster local government people, a lot of people I, I knew and, and we, I, he just didn't fit in. He had a, a whole different vibe to him. And I said, who is that guy? And, and he, and somebody said, that's Michael Tate. Do you not know who he is? So I went home and I Googled him and like suddenly a Rolling Stone and Vanity Fair, all these articles about him and how he came to Lidditz because he couldn't get the Claire outfit to move with him so he had to go to them and that i guess is was in the time period where you began to talk to them and the more i read the more i understood that there was an integration of culture here when you talk about the young people that there is this energy that comes together around i guess in lit it's all together but you mentioned it attracts young people and yet there is uh, the articles referred to the amish working on some of these stage sets that, that was something, again, that you're looking at the iceberg and you see the tip of it above the surface. And then you realize as you kept on digging that, wow, this, this thing's huge. Then we realized, particularly Tate Towers, the reason they are the biggest in the world is that they are the most aggressive as far as schedule. When an artist wants something, and again, you're working with creative people, so they're not necessarily grounded or realistic. They want these elaborate sets and they want them tomorrow. And Tate Towers, again, how they've grown is that their ability to turn around an entirely new concept in someone's head and make it a reality. But they obviously don't have all those capabilities within their building. So they have leased out and created this sub economy of these small, particularly small Amish shops that are, you know, fabricators or very individual fabrication, if you will. And they utilized this secondary economy. And that was another thing that, again, when we sold the idea of working with allowing Rocklets to expand and allow them to get established, we made sure that story was told to the public. It's like, hey, it's not just these three industries who, by the way, combined have over 900 employees that will lose if they move away, all high paying jobs. But by the way, they're also supporting this huge sub economy 
that's out there. And that wasn't just Amish. There were other businesses in the town that we realized that they just subcontract out work. And there were several industries in that recession that actually were in trouble. And Rock Littitz went out and specifically utilized them because they knew they were in trouble. It's that whole community, let's work together. We all survive together. And again, it's just, it's just what can happen when people work together. Yes. And there was another good story that I learned at that gathering which you can tell, and it's part of this culture blend. You have retirement communities, some prestigious, premier retirement communities, and you've got now Rock Lidditz just right there as a major part of presence. And there was a story about how the sound, the vibrations, there was concern about, I don't know if it was specifically noise or whether it was specifically we could feel the vibrations, but you had to step in and help correct some of the it worked out. In other words, they were able to work out this. Well, that, that was a, that was a team effort. And when the original, and remember, this was all entirely a new idea. And the original thought, Rock Lidditz, once they got formed was, hey, there's no place other than least, say like Hershey Theater, or not Hershey Theater, but Hershey Stadium, where hockey teams play, that has a high enough ceiling for us to actually build stage sets for live entertainment concerts. And so we want to build a building that will be 120 feet high. And again, we had to do a bunch of changes and zoning amendments to make that happen. And we're going to, it's going to be where we create and build these facilities. Rocklets did not have in their idea, in their mind, the artist would come in and look at it and say, this is great. This is exactly what I wanted. Tear it down. We're going to take it on the road. And here we go. Little be known, the first artist, which was Usher came in and said, I like it here so much. I want to practice here. So they're like, we're not, that's not what we really do. But again, you're not going to, you're not going to tell your client, you can't do this. The building was not soundproof. So we did when that particular artist started practicing, we had issues with noise. So we immediately shut it down. And I think it's a great story. We had a lot of upset people. At first, hey, you should have known about this. They did not know that this was what was going to happen. But we turned around in 45 days, not only an agreement, which became completely transparent about how we would regulate the noise that came from the building and the campus, but the actual remediation, which meant that they had to go and soundproof walls that were 120 foot vertical. And they did that in 45 days. And then we sound checked and proved and showed that we actually had live feed of the sound levels in our office at all times and the police department, which again, then the public just became, okay, now they have it under control. We turned that around and boom, they were up and running. And ever since that, they've had people ability to practice there, but it's a great example. I have, okay, we have a problem. Everybody huddled. We brought in several consulting firms that were noise abatement. They really did. They actually created a system that they created that was not done before. And again, you talk about it, just creativity and then being ingenious, turn around and create this system that they could soundproof these buildings. And then the rest was history. And then they just took off. Everything about this just, I think, brings home this idea of building partnership and relationship right from the get-go. So had that been a different story where the noise problems is, are coming from a industry that maybe you didn't have some of those roots with, it, it could have gone another way. 
Yeah. Well, and I, I think what is really sad about today, we admitted we made a mistake. Rock Lutz admitted they made a mistake. No one's perfect. And I think we were so afraid to admit we made a mistake or particularly with instant social media and the bad news spread so quickly. We quickly got in front of it and said, hey, we've shut this down. We realize that we need to correct this. We're not going to, they're not going to proceed until we, we come up with a, a, a method to remediate this and to make sure everybody is on the same page. We're going to monitor this. We're not going to just allow it up to Rockletts to monitor themselves. We're going to be, have the ability. And that was expensive. Rockletts had to put in that money to have that monitoring system put in, but they did it without any hesitation because they knew their reputation was that's a huge issue for them. They want to make sure that people can trust them. Again, they were just great partners, but it, again, it was just this outstanding example of identify, acknowledge the problem, create the solution, and then move forward and, mm -hmm. and just do it. So at what point did the LRCDC come into being? Because I think that has also been a jumping off point for just an extension of what again and we we're blessed in Lancaster County we have an excellent Lancaster County Economic Development Corp they handle the county as a whole they do an outstanding job this is trying to attract either industries or particularly state funding for industrial and job creation growth but we felt once we got through the Rock Lids project we also realized that we had some other IT high-tech industries that were sort of blossoming off of the of the Rock Lids effort. And so we wanted to make sure we were business friendly. That was, again, an initiative came right out of the comprehensive plan in the nineties was that, Hey, if you know, we want to be business friendly and we want to make sure we're attracting, cause you're in competition with the cream of the crop of all the good high tech jobs. Everybody else wants that. How do we become, and don't forget, we were making a lot of these guys go through extra hoops. Rock Lids buys TDRs too. They've bought over a million dollars worth of TDRs, which we preserve farms through this development. So not only do you have job creation, obviously excellent tax base for the school districts and the municipality, but at the same time, you're creating additional funding, private funding for agricultural preservation. But it, we wanted to bring something that was more tailored for the Lydis Warwick area. So we created our own smaller, if you will, individual development corporation, and they've been able to attract a number of state grants for several initiatives. Another initiative the township had was historic preservation. And historic preservation on a large scale is always a challenge to get anybody even remotely interested in doing that. So we used the Regional Development Corp to attract a state grant. We actually took on five major strategic historic buildings that are each adjacent to each other. And we have a an historic renovation project going on that's well over between three and $4 million. And that all became possible because the local regional development corp helped champion that to a DCD and the state government for some funding. And that, again, that entity was another creation that came out of the regional comprehensive plan. It was just another need that was identified that, Hey, yes, we do have a county regional development, but we think we need to have something just a little bit closer to home. And we can, that way we can utilize both entities. It, it, they're not competing with each other. They just do separate roles. Who, how did you decide or who decided? who would be on that board? One, all the regional, we have regional rec, regional police, regional fire, all those entities have representation from the, the municipalities. A lot of them have representation from the school district. And then we really go out and look, go after Shaker and Baker, people that are, are stakeholders in the community 
to sit on these boards and again, being respectful of their time, but because of the success of the comprehensive plan, it's a fairly easy sale to get people to serve for at least a period of time on these commissions and then utilize their expertise, their input, again, help make it successful. Another major initiative was the revitalization of the downtown area. Again, Lidditz is known for its downtown area. It was not that way 10 years ago. That was a major effort. Actually, Warwick provided some substantial contributions towards that initiative, even though it was in the borough. We got developers to contribute towards that. We actually got Target to contribute $100,000, even though Target was going in Warwick. And again, this is all negotiation, Nancy, but we got them to contribute $100,000 to the downtown area. So again, there's really no limit to what you can get people to do if you just work with them and, and discuss it and be upfront about what you're doing. But when people see there's a, a plan, a master plan, and they see how the pieces all coming together and how you, they're going to fit into that master plan, it just becomes a matter of discussion about how and to what extent they're going to contribute. And that's in many ways, not just financially, but in other ways too. People want to be part of a successful effort. And if that's your, if that's your persona, then they're going to, they're going to jump on that. So. Yes. And I think you bring home just the point that it takes time, that this has been over a period it's of over 25 years. Yeah. Right. Now I do hear other municipalities talk about having an economic development or a business development corporation, but it lies dormant. And I think this is an important time. What I understand is that there is a, like an unprecedented level of funding that's going to be coming to local governments over the next several years. And so I think uh, there's a lot of discussion about how to be ready for those funding opportunities. And I am curious about if you were talking to managers right now and, and they were asking you, how, what's going to make a difference for us getting the funding that we need? And maybe it's, there's something here in, in the groundwork that you begin to lay. You'd mentioned how your economic community development corporation really helped to attract funding. Is that something that you would put in that equation for getting ready to prepare? And Nancy, you bring up a good point, but I, I got to tell you the first four years of the regional development corp, they didn't do anything. It doesn't just happen. You have again, perseverance and with stuff to keep people on that commission. Cause like, Hey, we're really not doing much. And I, I said, yeah, but you can see the need. It's just, it's a matter of just keeping at it. And the things that made us attractive was that one, we had projects ready. We knew what we had come and we slowly, and the community didn't necessarily trust the development corp right away. It all takes time. There's no substitution for seed time. You just got to put your, pay your dues, do your work, show that you're dedicated to it. They did a number of public meetings to say, Hey, we're out here. We can help you. Obviously Rocklitz didn't take them much encouragement. They said, Hey, if you want to come out and talk to us, we'll talk to you. And then, then they landed them several large grants. So it's just a matter of, uh, being ready. And like I said, there is a, a large number of opportunities out there. And what our advantages are now is that, Hey, we have an established development corporates there that they've been through several grant rounds. They have a record and, and uh, reputation of delivering one time on budget that there's community, there's municipal support for these initiatives and that there's been real results in the ground, physically changes that have taken place. If you can show that, then you become extremely attractive to these funding mechanisms or organizations. That's where they want to put their money. They want to know places where it's, it's not going to just sit there or it's benchmarked for five years and nothing's happened. You need to move on it if, if you want to be attractive. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I hear you. I think about vision. I think about infectious energy or finding the people who have the energy to sustain a vision through obstacles. You know, they, they just, I don't know, I guess there's a combination of people that when they work together, some are very nuts and bolts and others really focus on maybe relationships. I don't know how you see it, but it seems like collectively there needs to be just a common vision or a common idea that these are big ideas that are worth worth the time, the effort, the everything, the putting it out there. And I think it's, first of all, you have to sort of self-evaluate. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? I'm not a detailed type person. I'm, if this really? is a, Nancy, if this is a paint job, I'm an eight inch paint. <laughs> need to have the trim. People who have their trim brushes. I always, I had a great staff. We worked as a team. What I brought to the table was I could see the big picture. I, I, there are a lot of people who just are, they are the nuts and bolts and you need those people. You got to have those people, but they don't really see the big picture. That's, if I did contribute something, it was that I could see where we needed to go and yeah. how we're going to get there. But as far as filling in, there's always those nuts and bolts. Again, I, I do advise people though, don't try to figure out everything or you'll never get anything done. You just yeah. end up just studying. Yeah. One of our roles, and Nancy, you know that because you were a consultant for us, I never wanted to see anything foul with us that was in a binder that I couldn't rip out the right. page because right. things change. You got to evolve. You got to be constantly monitoring what's going on. And if you have to adjust, that's not a big deal. Just make sure everybody knows what's going on and why you're changing, but adapt to the situation. Because a lot of times we saw a better advantage when we started out with something we started going in that direction and then all of a sudden we're like, wow, this can actually go much farther if we just adjust slightly. And we were able to, to do that and, or go to another partner and say, Hey, we already got so-and-so involved, but if you involve, you get involved, look what can happen here and just jump on those opportunities. But it's making sure you have the full package. And again, I had excellent board members who, again, we just utilized everybody's strength. Everyone. Yeah. I knew you were not uh, keen. I used to telling me that it was painful to have to go over the employee handbook and the policies. You hated that. So <laughs> it was your partner on that. So I, I guess you did. That's you, why I ended up with you, Nancy. <laughs> you were always talking about making a good case for things. And there was a, some strategy involved in how you were moving things forward. But you were really the thinker. I imagine that you were also a finance or you liked working with someone. I do like budget. Yeah, I was, I'm a money guy. Yeah. And again, very proud of our efficiency level, yeah. something that I think, again, we missed that boat. I think a huge challenge for municipalities in the future is again, the continued reliance on real estate tax is it's, it's going to continue to get shakier and even earned income tax for Warwick. We were very dependent on earned income tax, but as the demographics change, as the baby boomers age out, you're going to start seeing some fluctuation, even in that revenue chain. And so. Efficiency is one way that you can continue to contain your costs and not, and be able to survive these fluctuations. And, and it actually, it's an obligation, I think, to the taxpayer. Government and I, I, everybody has uh, somewhat of a negative opinion on government. And like I said, local government, which is one of the greatest opportunities to show how government can work efficiently, but you, you need to put your effort into that and look at a lot of times that's regionalization. I know that in Pennsylvania with 2,600 political subdivisions out there, that that's really anti what Pennsylvania stands for is autonomy and small little municipalities. But in many things in the sophistication of today's services, 
regionalization is the way to go if you're going to continue, if you want to be efficient about it. Yeah. No, I, I think it was a conversation with you one time you used the word hub and it has stuck with me since then. I think that there can be a new model the way we do government that you don't have to have an MS for a specialist at every single municipality. If you've got someone that can be maybe helped paid for by, I'm not sure how you set that up. I know you did that. I'm not we, sure. We, people no, our, yeah. Our regional fire coordinator, our planners, we're all split shared. We actually did internships. I mean, there's a number of ways to get really great staffing, but not pay for the full load. Yeah. We split share equipment all over the place. Mm -hmm. Again, there's just no justification to buy certain amount of equipment that's used only for a certain period of time of the year when it can be shared. And again, that's a trust. This took years for us to get to a point where people, hey, yeah, this does work. Yeah. Once you get through it once, then people are sold on it and you can make it move forward. It's, but again, it's just the efficiency. It's a model that has worked very well for you. And, and I, I just know from working with you that you have very long-term term staff. You did not, you know, there's, everyone's had some problems in the last several years with recruitment and retirements and so forth. That's been a challenge, but over the arc of your time at Warwick, you have had long-term employees that have been very committed. So it's really a lesson in what you could do with a lean staff that, and not a big HR department. There's a lot of things you didn't need because of the way you went at it. And I think it is, it deserves attention in these days where there's a lot of wringing of hands in terms of how we are going to keep providing services and expanding services based on mandates so we don't have what we feel is adequate staffing to do it. So it is a, a design problem in some respects. But as you said, you're building capacity and you're helping the staff to grow in what they do well. And you relied on them. Every single one of your staff were key. That's what I recall. Every one of them knew that if they walked out that door, there was going to be a big hole because every single person in your organization carried a significant part. Well, I think that's something that's overlooked too. A job is obviously Pay is one aspect of it and then benefits are another, but the job satisfaction or the ability to see, and that's one reason I got in local government was it's the only level of government you can actually not only think about, but then construct it or implement it and then see the end results and that satisfaction of like, Hey, we made that change or we've, we've created this new service to the community. That's really well received. And it's, it's just job satisfaction and, and not all jobs have that. And also the fact that we're job security in a sense that I, so I tell a lot of the young people when we would hire is like, there are not many careers that you can pick right now that you may not become obsolete. I don't know that, again, there's not a guarantee, but I think there's a very good chance that your job will exist 30 years from now because it water, sewer, these are basic needs that I don't see changing substantially. The questions that I have for you seem very redundant at this point because we have covered some of these areas, but let me move to one. I, I did have a question in here about your, how you envision healthy municipal government. I'd love to hear if there's anything that, that we haven't talked about to this point that you might want to say about what is a healthy municipal government. But in tandem with that is the other question, which is what we need to preserve and what we need to change or progress in local government. Any thoughts on that? But Again, you should never give up your identity. And that, that's something when I promote regionalization, and that doesn't mean that you just disappear or you're taking a back seat or whatever. I think uh, whatever makes your community great you want to make sure you identify that and make attempts to, to preserve it. But I do think, again, there's so many opportunities by 
working with other people. And that's where we need to change is start looking outside, whether it's public or private partnerships to start looking outside and say, what is the potential that we could actually create that new service or actually revamp that existing service and make it far better and possibly even cheaper of cost if we open ourselves up to these partnerships. So I think that's a big change of start. Don't limit yourself to what's just in front of you. Start thinking outside the box. And not everything that we did was successful. I mean, we went down several dead ends, but that's okay. You, you know, quickly identify that, no, this isn't working out, eliminate it and then move, you know, you know, on uh, to the next new endeavor or new idea. But again, flush it out quickly. Normally it became very evident quickly, whether it was a good idea or not. I would have to say probably eight out of 10 times, nine out of 10 times. It did produce to be productive for us to, to pursue it. So mm-hmm. I think that's on the challenges and, and remaining transparent. Again, social media brings a huge challenge to municipalities that was not there 30, 40 years ago when I started. I mean, that that is a huge challenge because people immediately, once part of a story goes out, say you have a water contamination issue and then proof it's out there and misinformation gets out there, you need to immediately respond to that and get good, solid information out as fast as possible. And it's a matter of hours, not a day, not 24 hours, a matter of an hour or two that you need to respond to it to make sure you have your information correct. So that's a challenge. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. You're only a few months out since retirement. So I'm imagining you're going to be thinking about having a different perspective as you move away from your immediate role. But What can you tell us about what you're going to do with this next phase? I can't imagine, I don't think anyone can imagine you pulling out of local government activities altogether, but do you have any immediate thoughts about what you might stay involved with? I was always an environmentalist. I'm still on the Lancaster County Ag Preserve Board. I'm on the board for Trout Unlimited. Watershed management was another huge success story for us. We actually successfully brought back the literature run from a very impaired stream to now a stream that provides for reproducing trout. That took over 20 years effort. Again, those basic quality of life issues, clean air, clean water, adequate open space. That's what makes communities great. And if you don't, you need to take care of those basic elements. We build a very substantial case for community involvement and community support, but it took us years. And again, It's hard. And we were going out telling farmers that they had to change the way they were doing things. And that took us years to get done. But once people see it's successful and once people see that you're sincere about it, uh, they usually join in. And those endeavors, environmental endeavors, are that's my passion, if you will. And that was one reason why I got into local government. I was able to get involved with that and through preservation of quality of life issues for the community. So that allowed me to do a lot of those environmental things. That's a really wonderful way to end. I find that very inspirational. And one of the reasons for doing this podcast is to really help broaden the understanding of what local government is about and perhaps grow young professionals that are thinking about how they can make a difference in the world, which we hear often. That's what they want. And local government can be a place for that. You have demonstrated that with your career. It can be a a, a role and a, a wonderful career where you can make a great impact. And you have done that, Dan Zimmerman. So, and I hope that uh, we'll have opportunity to interact in other kinds of ways through projects. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you.